Hey guys, welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. Today, Jeff sits down with Ed Killer, a Florida boy who's been raising his own three boys on the waters he grew up in along the shores of Jensen Beach. Ed's a real guy and a top-notch journalist. He started writing in the 90s, publishing quality articles for sports and for coastal communities. And 25 years later, Ed's still at it. Make sure you guys subscribe to TC Palm to get access to all of Ed's content. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and run that dog. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. I'm news. Ed, thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I've been wanting to get you on here. I um, I keep up with all your stuff online and um, read most of your articles. And um, I was really grateful that you came down when we did the big protest here in Fort Lauderdale um, to get on the city's case about getting their act together with our failing infrastructure. And um, that was the first time I could I got to really meet Ed and uh, kind of hang around with him a little bit. And after talking to you and then seeing all the different articles that you were written, I was like, what a perfect person to interview for the Real Guy podcast. Well, great. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you decided to. It was... You know, that uh, protest, that was pretty amazing, Jeff. And I, I got to give you a ton of credit because um, that's the only way that the needle ever moves and that things ever change when it comes to clean water in Florida. Right. You know, we, we have to take care of it in our own neighborhoods first and in our counties first and then on a broader level to the state and then federal level eventually. But it all starts in your neighborhood. And what you guys were experiencing was just awful. And uh, and every every one of those previous you know county commissions and city commissions had had kicked the can of failing sewage infrastructure down the road for years until you led a movement of people you know and it has to be a grassroots thing from the citizens to get up and say listen we're not putting up with this anymore you guys have to stop right now deal with this and handle it and make it make it better so that in the future we don't have to worry about these problems and, and fouling up our waterways. So, you know, so kudos to you. It was really, it was, I thought really important and I knew it would be something that would run in our, our papers with the USA Today network statewide and would resonate with readers no matter what corner of Florida they lived in. So that's one reason why I chose to come down here and and, uh, check out what you guys are doing. Right. Now, are you able to get a, um, are you able to get good feedback after you write an article like that? Oh yeah. Did you? Yeah. Did you get a lot of feedback from that? Because here in here in Fort Lauderdale area, you know, it was so emotional for so many people that, um, you know, the type of feedback that I got from my social media was just, I'd say, four or five times more intense than normal. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, a lot of it has to do with the nature of what the problem is. But, you know, the nature of, of, of raw sewage spilling into you know, our, our natural environment, you know, that is, that's something that hits home, whether you're a fisherman or not, you know, whether you are a paddleboarder or a kayaker or a boater. Um, but if you're a waterfront home property owner, that's going to hit you in the, in the, in the wallet, you know? So that kind of stuff is, is important to everybody. And so when I wrote that article, I got feedback, like I said, from all over the place, you know, I got people from, you know, Pensacola and Tallahassee and, you know, uh, Fort Myers and, uh, Titusville and Melbourne and places like that, where everybody in those areas has experienced kind of a similar situation to one degree or another. You know, maybe it wasn't always like broken sewer pipes. Maybe it was a wastewater treatment plant that has a DEP permit to unload, you know, 500,000 gallons of treated wastewater into the, into the Indian River Lagoon. Or maybe it was a situation where the nutrient load was so bad in like Sarasota that, uh, you know, they're having their own kind of minor algae blooms right there in that, in that little area. So, you know, these, these were things where people reached out to me and, you know, in one regard, they sympathized with you and the people of Fort Lauderdale. But on the other hand, they also were fed up with their own communities and their own leaders, not addressing these problems, you know, more head on. You know, everybody knows that these problems are expensive and that there's no silver bullet. We we're, we're well aware of that. But what we want is we want a plan or a solution or some kind of a vision where we have leadership that, that tells us, look, you know, we got to we got to, you know, bite the bullet. Maybe we got to do a, 
a tax increase of some sort or maybe something like that. But what do we have to do? We have to f- come up with a plan so that we know that four, five, 10, 15 years down the road, these same aging you know, systems aren't causing the problems that, like we saw back, back around you know, earlier this year. I mean, what I looked up uh, recently was you guys had something like 230 million gallons of, of uh, untreated sewage that went into your waterways that, that they could account for. I mean, that's, right. that's, un, that's unconscionable, you know, to have that much, that much waste in our waterways. The damage it does long-term and short-term, uh, you, you can't even measure how much damage it does for years and years. So Ed, now after that, after the, uh, the protest, you know, we had quite a few different um, forms of media reach out to us and want to do interviews and want to talk about the um, sewage spill and get my take on it and that kind of thing. But there was a big difference between the other people that came down to do interviews and you. And I think after uh, learning a little bit about you, be, you being a, a, a Florida native and growing up um, around the water and, and wildlife being essential to you and all the different articles and stuff that you wrote over the years, um, you know, kind of had that focus to it. Did when you became a journalist, was that one of the motivating factors? Was the environment even part of your mindset back then? <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a funny story. So um, I didn't go to school for journalism. I didn't okay. train. Yeah, I went, um, I went to college or something totally different. And I, I worked in, um, you know, a couple of different fields. I was a biological scientist for a while, sold shoes for a while, which is uh, my goodness. Is that <laughs> that's that's the most thankless job ever. But anyway, so it just kind of it just kind of happened that I was able to begin a, a writing career with the Stewart News uh, here in Stewart back in 1994. So I've been doing this about 26 years. And wow. I had a sports editor who had, he wanted somebody who could cover football and fishing. And uh, he actually met me at a, at a fishing tournament that I was helping to, um, I was like one of the organizers of the fishing tournament. And when he, he came down to cover the uh, weigh-in, uh, I got to talking with him and he just pretty much hired me on the spot to go out and start covering uh, local sports in the Martin County, St. Lucie County area up here. But yeah, I was born and raised here and grew up fishing. I mean, it, my, my parents grew up in this town. Um, uh, my dad's parents grew up in Fort Pierce. You know, so we, we were, and some of them were commercial fishermen back around 1900, you know. So, you know, we've, we've, our lives have been tied to the water one way or the other, mostly recreationally um, for the entire, my entire life, ever since I was a little kid. And right. so, you know, catching snook and trout and uh, redfish, except we didn't call them redfish up here. We called them channel bass when I was growing up. Um, but we caught, you know, you know, tarpon and jacks and, of course, Stewart sailfish capital world. So that was always a big deal. Uh, we started fishing and fishing tournaments when I was a little kid. You know, everything from the, you know, catching snapper and flounder for, for free fishing rods on the Jensen Beach Causeway to, um, going out and fishing in the small boat tournament from the Stewart Sailfish Club for uh, dolphin and bonita and uh, barracuda and uh, sailfish and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we've had a big, long history of, of being around fishing tournaments. So it was just kind of funny that when the job offer was made, I jumped right into it. And ever since then, I, you know, I've covered everything from, you know, SKA National Championships to um, I've covered some of the sailfish tournaments you guys have done down there for various magazines. Right. I've I've covered tournaments from, you know, from Key West to, to Georgia to Mississippi. So it's, you know, I've kind of gotten around and everywhere I go, there's a common thread. Everybody, whether you're a competitor in a tournament or whether you're a charter fisherman or whether you're, you're just a weekend warrior or you're just a kid growing up near the water. If, if you ever are able to bend a rod, if someone's ever to put a rod in your hand and you're ever able to be connected to a fish for, even a few seconds or a couple of minutes, there's something that transpires inside your body. I've, I've never met anybody who's caught a fish and is, has told you, ah, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. I just walked away from it. You know, most everybody who's ever connected to a fish has, has enjoyed that experience and will, will remember whether they've caught one or a thousand, you know, and some of the people I talk to, they've caught, you know, hundreds of fish and they've gotten their IGFA billfish slams and, they still are out there tomorrow trying to catch that next fish. You know, they, there's no achievement 
that makes them just stop and say, ah, I've done enough. I'm going to go on play golf or, you know, you know, play pinochle or something, you know, they, they, right. they love fishing. So um, that's one thing I've always appreciated about the editors in my area that have uh, managed these newspapers. They've always understood that. So they've always given me a lot of free, free um, freedom to write about fishing and boating and diving and stuff like that. And it, and surfing and whatever and paddleboard and kayaking and connecting it to, you know, why people live in Florida in the first place. So I'm right. grateful for that. Well, it, and it, and it, you know, just, just from your, your topics alone, you can tell, you know, that um, you're connected to it and you can tell by the amount of effort and research and time that you've put into the articles. Like I was floored. You drove up from what Stewart to come to Fort Lauderdale to hang out when we were doing the sign making. Mm -hmm. And, and what you, you stayed there like an hour or whatever. And to think of all the different reporters, all the different people that wanted to write articles and stuff. um, I did not see that type of energy, you know, coming from, they would come by with a, with a camera and they do their, quick, you know, two, three minute question thing, but did they hang out and get a feel for the event? No, they didn't. Did they seem like they personally connected with it? No, they didn't. But I will tell you something um, that I found from the other journalists and reporters is as this sewage spill was going on in here in Fort Lauderdale, you know, you got to see them over and over and you kind of got to know them and you could tell, even though they weren't from the fishing world or the surfing world or not, or maybe not even the beach world, it didn't matter if you covered that crazy amount of raw sewage in the water. I mean, it sparked a chord with some of these um, newscasters and things like that. Um, And I think that was um, part of the, should I say success of it all? Because it, it made people think, you know. Well, I, I think um, I, I've seen that. I've seen what you're talking about. There's like a change that occurs in a journalist when they, you know, they're covering everything from the car crash to the domestic, you know, incident that happened across town last night to today it's the sewage spill, and they come in, they're getting their two minute sound bite, and go down and edit it down to 45 seconds, you know, and they get out of there. Um, but when they have to do it four, five, six times, they realize that this is affecting everybody's life, including their own in one way or another. And it starts to kind of hit home for them because they look at it and they see, okay, here's a problem. So, you know, logic dictates that we develop a solution and then we put, we execute the solution and then the problem is solved. And what we see with, with how Florida's waterways are fouled all over the state in many different ways is we see the problem being identified and people complaining about it and demanding a solution. And then somewhere between the development of the development of the plan and the execution of the plan to solve it, there's a breakdown. And, and some of these issues, like the, like one reason why your issue hit home for me is because in our community for 85 years now, we've been screaming and hollering about Lake Okeechobee discharges into the St. Lucie river. Right. And, and there's, there's literally Jeff, there's been people who have been, born, lived, fought against this problem, and then died in their lifetime while this has been going on and the solution still hasn't, hasn't been put into, into action. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's sad to think about. I think about it. I think about all the grave sites that are in our community of people who fought you know, every chance they could to, for clean waterways around here and, and in Florida in general, but locally is you know, mostly what their, most of their effort was put into and they died never seeing that solution. And I've, and, I've, and I've written columns for 25 years, 26 years now, where I've literally written in the column that my grandkids might have a chance by the time they're old to see some of these, these problems change in our community. And I think that's one thing you saw with some of the reporters you dealt with is you saw them starting to realize, oh, this, this isn't going to change anytime soon. You know, and for a TV reporter, you might be in a community for like two, three years sometimes, and then you move on to the next market somewhere else. And then, you know, you know, next year you're working in Schenectady or somewhere, you're covering, covering blizzards in Nebraska. But, right. uh, you know, these guys are, when they're here, they're like going, this is awful what these people are having to put up with. You know, they may not be someone whoever's, whoever's kayaked, uh, you know, the, you know, 
one of your rivers down there, but they, they, you know, they, they realize that the people who are trying to enjoy their, the quality of life that they have saved up their, their life, their whole life for all of a sudden can't do so because of some problem that just isn't being fixed for one reason or another. And so it's, right. it's terribly sad, you know? Right. And yeah. Are you, are you, are you finding that when you're, when you're writing about this stuff um, in the, in, in the, in recent history, in the last say 24 months, are you finding that it's getting more traction now than before? Because I mean, we've noticed this and, and everybody's known that, you know, the wildlife and there's been diminishing life every year everything kind of gets harder fishing gets harder the mullet runs shorter you don't see the birds it's just you know everybody knows that you know that mother nature's in a decline here but to me it seems like in the last 24 months more people than i've ever noticed before are starting to pay attention and kind of get the message are you are you feeling that at all ed you know i i think i do um it you know unfortunately it, it takes you know a dramatic failure of something or a dramatic uh, catastrophe like you had there. It takes that kind of an event to to kind of you know wake people up and kind of shake them loose from their their daily you know their daily grind of what they're used to doing all day long and you know the the, the you know the Facebook posts they they like to go like and that kind of stuff. So I think you're right. I think there is uh, a, a a much more a, a deeper awareness and a deeper understanding. I, you know, I always see it in our community because our community, the, what we're dealing with with our dirty water, um, is a, a very it's kind of a complicated issue. And so, what used to happen a long time ago is people would be like, "Well, I don't understand why there why is the water dirty?" You know, down at you know Sanskrit Park and St. Lucie River, and I'd say well, it's because of this and this, and then have to explain where the water came from and yada, yada. Well, you know, take it, by the time I get done explaining it in five, six, seven minute answer, you know, their eyes have rolled in the back of their heads. They've passed out already, you know, walked away from me, whatever. So, um, you know, now I've, I've noticed that there's many, many more people that I've run into that maybe they even haven't, they've only been here a couple of years, maybe two, three years, but they understand the issue and, and why it's important and what they why they need to be involved in trying to come up with a solution. So I agree with you. I think there is a, a much deeper and broader awareness. You know, the media has helped that social media has helped that right. uh, pe- people like you that are, you know, that have been active and vocal and, and unrelenting. That's the big thing, Jeff, that's, that's what you bring to this. And that's what I've seen with the people who have had success in other parts of the state that have gotten things accomplished. It's the, the unrelentlessness you have to keep, or I'm sorry, the real, the words actually relentless, <laughs> you know, irregardlessness is, or so, yeah. Anyway, so it's <laughs> relentless. You're relentless. They're, you know, these people that have had success, that's what they've been. They have this energy that just doesn't stop. And, and even though, you know, they've got their personal lives to deal with their personal businesses, they're trying to run kids, you know, right. other things going on. And yet they forge through, you know, committed to an issue, you know, attending city council meetings, getting in front of, you know, TV cameras, you know, going out to the next sewer line break with a camera, you know, and, and getting things taken care of so that people can see, they have to see this stuff. If, you know, if you don't see what's happening, you can't identify with it or take ownership of it. And when people see it, that's when they go, Oh, you know, puts two and two together. I see what the problem is, you know, and next, and next thing you know, when a referendum comes in front of, the voter and says, listen, we need to fix these sewer lines, but we got to pay for it with those bonds. You know, people are going to be like, okay, I'm voting yes for that. You know, they, now they understand the issue and they can, they can actually do it. So yeah, that's a good point. I think there is a lot more awareness of it. Um, and it, and it's a good thing. I, I've, I, you know, even when Ron DeSantis took office, um, I, I didn't have high expectations for there to be clean water policy coming down the line, but right away, four days into office, he came to Stewart and right and announced he was firing the all the members of the South Florida Water Management District's governing board, and right. it, it was it was a big deal. You know, the there was a board member in the room when that happened, and we went and talked to him, and he he kind of sloughed it off. Ha ha! No, I'm going to serve out my my four year term. Well, guess what? Two weeks later, he was not serving anymore. So yeah. yeah, so it was you know seeing 
a governor and a congressman like Brian Mast, who represents our area, uh, get traction on these clean water issues and move the needle somewhat, it's really been refreshing for me. It's like, wow, there's actually change happening. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of remarkable. I think it's remarkable too. And I think, I think a couple of points that you hit on, you know, one social media, um, you know, somebody runs across a video of 30 seconds of raw sewage going into the water and the fish dying. Um, that's all they need. Yeah. You know, where I think before, you know, they did, you, know, you have to read an article here and then you have to see a good photo that was taken by somebody that was published the right way. And the process was, you know, drawn out. And by the time it took for somebody to get it, like you said, they were uninterested, but nowadays they say, Oh geez, Jeff just posted this sewage spill that it registered immediately. And then two days later, you know, a photo and then a week later, Oh, he's, he's in the, um, talking with the mayor. So they're able to, you know, connect the dots so much easier. And then guys like you writing the articles from the heart and then being able to cross-reference with social media, I think is a, a progressive way and it's a much better and productive way, more efficient way for the public to understand what's going on. Because man, even with all this stuff and you show them, it's extremely time consuming and confusing. And I think that is the part of media that has driven me crazy um, for so long that we're now able to get over. You yeah. know what I mean? No, that's a good point. That's a great point. Now, do you do you see do you see um, do you see a change in in structure in typical media going forward because of what we're seeing here is uh, the way the social media stuff is working? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we've changed. Like I said, I've been in this business a long time now, and when I started in 1994, we didn't really, you know, laptops were just being thought of, you know, and, uh, and nowadays, you know, we do everything with a phone and, and, you know, so we'll get everything from video to recordings to, you know, we'll edit stuff on the phones, photos, everything else. So the, the, the tools have changed and the way that people consume media has changed. So, you know, what really kind of hurt our business was when Facebook came along and all of a sudden people had access to information that was quicker and easier than what we could provide. You know, we still have to do things like we're, we're kind of restricted by certain rules. Like we have to, we have to vet sources, you know, we can't just write anything. Anybody says we got to actually, you know, figure out, is this person a qualified source for this topic we're writing about? You know, do we, you know, do we, you know, when, when there's a car crash, we can't, you know, we, we might be able to go look up their names by using like license plate information and, finding it through some DMV records, but you know, we're not allowed to do that. We have to wait for the authorities to give us that information. That chain of, of information still has to flow from the police departments and sheriffs and from the fire departments to us. And we have to wait until they, they are ready to provide it for us. Like, you know, notifying next to can and all that. So um, there, there's a lot of the, of these processes that make our, our reporting methods slower. So even though we're using the internet just as much as anybody, we have to wait until something gets, gets done. So we'll have, you'll have somebody, you know, post something, they drive by like a a house on fire, you know, in their neighborhood. And, you know, the video is all over Facebook and there's 7,000 comments underneath it. And people, you know, 20 of them know who the person was. It was there. And, you know, they've talked to them already and, you know, all that, Well, we can't, we can't, we can't report that yet. We have to wait until they tell us what's going on. Right. And so, so there's a delay in that process and it's given people the impression that we are either not trying to cover something or we don't cover something or that there's some kind of a way that we're messing the, you know, screwing the information up. You know, the whole brand branding of uh, fake news is, is hurt our entire traditional media industry when reality is, is that, a, a large majority of what you see on social media isn't coming from vetted sources and it isn't coming from, um, you know, people that have been where the facts have been checked. And so therefore there is much more information being thrown around and accepted as, as the truth. And so it's kind of, it's kind of made our jobs really complicated and it's hurt our business. And as a result, 
you know, we've had to cut down our staff. So that's been one problem that's happened. So now we have fewer people covering fewer things and that's not helping anybody. So there's a, there's a, you know, a whole complex web of, of problems that, that come from this. And uh, so it's made it very, it's made it difficult, but when it comes to things like covering the environment, we still kind of have the traditional media still has a good uh, handle on that. You know, we, we're talking to the right people and we're talking to people in they're in positions of, of uh, you know, decision-making positions to be able to give us the right information so that our readers can really understand these issues. So there's less of a problem there. You know, you're not going to have somebody breaking something on Facebook about Everglades restoration. You, sometimes you do, but not as much as it is when we finally get a story done, put together that's telling somebody, look, there's this, here's this problem and here's the comp- comp- complexity of it. And here's what the deal is. You know, we we're able to get all that information into a story so people can really understand it. Right. 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 Well, the, um, I don't know the, the thing that struck me and it's more, I think, um, about national media, you know, the Fox news of the world the CNNs of the world. Um, they kind of pick and choose, um, what they cover, especially when it comes to like national disasters and that type of thing. Like they make such a big deal out of say a hurricane and a hurricane can be a big deal. That's not the point. But my point is, is that red tide that happened over on the West coast of Florida was that two and a half years ago was so huge and so dramatic and so nasty. And it barely made national news. And I'm thinking to myself, what has to happen? How many turtles, manatees, goliath groupers, tarpon, fish have to die? How many hundreds of tons has to die and get washed up on the beach before it turns into national coverage? What's your take on that? Uh, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, uh, we, have a fi- we have a fish scientist here in town named Grant Gilmore, and he's been, he's been working on uh, – marine wildlife, marine fish issues for over 50 years of his life. He's getting up in years now. And he's always complained about that to me. He said, he says, you know, the fish don't have a voice. They don't have a a way that you can, um, you know, augment, you know, what their, their, their plight. And, you know, so many of them can die and no one is really, you know, raises an eyebrow. Uh, Even, you know, when there's a fish kill, there's a little bit of an uproar. But the conditions don't change for a long period of time, even though the fish die right away. You know, those conditions are still the same for maybe months and months, you know. And we certainly saw that red tide. That red tide lasted over a year. It was it was something like like 16, 17 months long. And it was unbelievable. I mean, there was a point where there was a whale shark that washed up on shore. Um, There was actually situations where uh, manatees died and I think a dolphin died. And which is very, very rare for mammals to die during red tide events. They usually leave the area or they move around. But for for there to be mammals that died and, and the Florida Fish and Wildlife, I think, believe that they were results of red tide event, you know, the red tide event going on. You know, it got a lot of, it did get a lot of attention. But, um, but again, more, it was the way the national media did cover it a little bit was it was more of a, you know, Oh my gosh! Look at how look at this catastrophe going on. It's happening in you know Fort Myers and Naples, and you know this really bad over there in the Clusatchee River area and that whole southwest side of Florida. And then that was the end of the report. And they just go to the next thing. You know, there's a plane crash in you know in Iraq right. or somewhere. You know, so it's like it was it it wasn't like okay, well here's why it happened. Here's what needs to change. Here's how it affects the businessmen there. You know, here's how the realtors are having a problem. You know, it, it was it was kind of weird how how it just kind of the, the, the coverage of it kind of dropped off and was sort of minimal. The newspapers did a pretty good job of covering it, but uh, especially the ones over there, they did a great job of being on it all the time and, and really trying to explain all the issues the best they could. Right. Um, but there's, but there's so much talk over, you know, who causes what, you know, there was some people that were blaming the phosphate mining industry. There was people blaming the, the, um, the release of the algae that came out of Lake Okeechobee that summer because there was toxic algae in the lake and it combined with the red tide that was already going on. Um, then you had all this backlash of, of chatter, you know, that were, you know, saying it, you know, that anybody blaming the Lake Okeechobee discharges for the 
red tide fish kill was it was a mistake they were mistaken so you had all these different dialogues and their narratives that started up that caused even more confusion but um and that might have been a cause but i agree with you i you know if you have a problem where like like we had a situation in space coast about 10 years ago where um a bunch of manatees died and it was still it was kind of a mystery um, that was that got a lot of attention because the manatees are mammals and they're cute and they have a cute face, you know. Right. But you know, but a you know a, a sheep's head, you know who who's going to care? Is someone going to care the same about a sheep's head as they are about a manatee? Some of us do, some of us don't. Right. So it's it's a it creates a problem. Right, right, right. Well, I just um, I don't know. I I, I get so frustrated, um, you know, with the national media because, you know. When we had our sewage spill, a lot of people said, well, it's a local problem. And yeah, it's our local problem, but there's frigging 50 of these local problems across the state of Florida. And then if you want to go into the other coastal communities, they're there too. So it's not just a Fort Lauderdale problem with infrastructure. That red tide event, um, regardless of the science, just the impact that it had and how it was ignored. I don't know. It just, it, 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 I don't know. That meant, that's what makes me think when people say, Oh, the media is fake or, or it's all orchestrated and, you know, bought and paid for. And you look at it like that and they're, I think they're right. I think they're hundred percent right. I think journalism, the way you're doing it on a local level, um, I think is the savior because I think people now, unlike before, is they can pick and choose their media and they can pick and choose what they believe, who does a good job, as opposed to having to tolerate whatever media is put on their plate. Well, that's a good, that's a good point. I'm kind of glad you touched on that. Uh, we, we made a conscious decision. Um, and I'm just, I mean, I'm not trying to sell newspapers, but I just want to explain what we did. I was part of a process in 2013 in our newsroom where we examined um, what it is our readers really want to read about on the treasure coast. So we were really just talking about an area at the time in 2013, when we were just trying to serve Martin County, St. Lucie County and Indian river County. So, you know, close to, you know, half a million, maybe a little bit more uh, potential people there. And, and our readership was a lot less, but we did a marketing survey and um, they told us they wanted to know more about the environment and the water and like, you know, where they can access the water, what kinds of things they can do on the water, uh, how clean the water is. Those were things that they were, they were concerned about. And so we made a business decision in our, at our newsroom to make sure that we covered those issues really, really thoroughly. And we're still, we have not changed that philosophy in seven years, despite all the changes our own industry has gone through during that time. During that time, we've been bought by the USA Today Network. Then we also merged with the company that owns papers like the Palm Beach Post. So now we're part of that, that same family. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a benefit and, a, and a, it's a you know, blessing and a curse at the same time, because although I might write a story about uh, some fishermen who saw a great white shark offshore and they'll run that in the Palm Beach Post or, or maybe it's offshore of like, say, you know, Boynton Beach. Now, they'll run that story in the Palm Beach Post and on the Treasure Coast and maybe they'll run it around the rest of our news, news network and lots and lots of people read it. You know, shark stories are very, very popular. Um, but sometimes I'll write about something like, you know, a, a situation we had a couple of months ago where some of the uh, shark diving tours – uh, came across a commercial shark longliner, uh, his long line, and they cut it. And they brought in about a mile and a half of it, brought it into the docks at Jupiter, and then started bragging about it on social media. Well, what they did was they committed a federal offense. They were the ones in the wrong. The commercial long liner was actually doing everything legal. And so even though they, don't, they didn't approve of him fishing for sharks, he had all the permits and documentation to do so. So it created a big, a big storm, you know. Well, I don't think the Palm Beach Post ever ran that story. <laughs> I was like, why would you guys not run this story? We told you to run it, you know. So you still right. get these editorial decisions made by on the spot by people 
that are you know sitting there you know watching what's going on 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 the internet and watching what's going on with with how they're going to put what they're going to put in the print paper the next day, but also what they're going to put on the website that day. And these spot decisions sometimes influence what these different news organizations produce. And, right. and, and, and clearly, you know, when you talk about the national media, the Fox CNN battle, you know, that, you know, those, those decisions that are made in those newsrooms are to cultivate the maximum amount of viewership that they're trying to get on, on their coverage. And so that's why you see these slants one way or the other. Right. So it's, it's, so it's, it, and it's kind of, and it, it, it causes people to kind of paint like all media with a broad brush, which is not that fair, but, you know, I kind of understand how it happens. You know, and what, one thing I get is I get a lot of direct contact from people and then they'll tell me, you know, they'll, I get, this is what I get a lot. It'll be like some argument on Facebook and I'll get, I'll be in the middle of it. And someone will say, you know, oh, it's, that's fake news. And the media is always doing this. And they're trying to, you know, uh, generate this fear factor or they're trying to do this. And then they'll go something like, and then I'll say something like, well, how, how do you think that is? And then they'll say, well, not you, Ed. <laughs> it's right. like I'm over on the side somehow. I'm not part of the actual media. I'm like some, I'm the dude who writes about fishing. So <laughs> I'll pass. yeah, I get, so I get, I get, you know, I get, I get friends on both sides of the aisle, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, the, 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 the education I got from media started with social media because I was in so early and I think we're seeing, um, yeah, your YouTube, your YouTube channel was something else, man. That was, a, that was awesome. Yeah. And, that, you know, was... and, we, and we did that for about a decade and we really don't do that much YouTube anymore. And, I, and I'll tell you the reason why, and I'll tell you how I feel that not just social media, but media like newspapers and, and news, I think how it's going to change and why is for the longest time, and in a lot of models, most people went after the big numbers. Oh, I got a million views. I got a half a million views. I got, you know, and yeah. it was all about huge numbers. Well, we kind of were feeling on YouTube that, okay, a lot of people are getting these huge numbers, but are these numbers any good? And what we did is we, we started a, uh, a separate YouTube channel. We called it Rant Monsters. And Rant Monsters, we took a, a kid that worked for me, a teenager, a millennial, and he caught four Goliath groupers, a ray, and a shark off the boat ramp here in Fort Lauderdale. And we uploaded all, everything at one time, and we got like 30 million views. I think it was like 30,000 subscribers one time in a two-week or 10-day period. But we noticed we didn't book any more fishing trips. We didn't sell any more apparel online. Yeah, of course, we made a little bit of money with um, Google because we got more views that month than normal. But we noticed that the views were just kind of empty, abyss views that really didn't convert into anything. And then we noticed on some of the smaller Facebook groups and um, the podcasts that we're doing that, okay, so we're not getting a million exposures a month. Maybe we're getting 20,000 a month. But out of those 20,000 exposures, they're quality exposures, meaning these people are really into what you're into. And you can interact with these people and they can make a call to action with these people. And it's actually a real network. And I think um, TC Palm, especially because I read the articles and I see how they're you know, catering to a lot of the coastal communities, I think that the new revolution in media is going to be quality over quantity. I think because people are going to be able to search and look at and read and listen to the topics that are important to them, that now the quality of your listener or viewer is going to be what dictates as opposed to quantity. Do you feel me on that? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's what it's all about um, for us. You know, it's um, where we've, we've part of what we did in 2013 was to, we could see that, our business model was, was, was already changing and it was going to change a lot more. And it wasn't going to be the situation where, well, if you wanted to know what happened in our local community, you just had to have a subscription, our newspaper. We knew that we were going to be competing with streaming services and, um, you know, 
you know, everybody is out there trying to grab your dollar for to to, to consume information. You know, now we got so many streaming services that uh, you know that are on that we could just you know dial up on demand. It's it's really amazing. And if you spend on the, if you're spending twenty four ninety nine for Disney services, maybe you're not going to spend money on your local newspaper's uh, subscription. So what we knew we had to do was is is we had to make sure we we're providing content the way they the way people wanted to consume it and 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 give them an engagement level that they were comfortable with in order to, to see us as a value. You know, I always try to tell people, I say one of the challenges we have in our business, we produce a daily product and we produce it in, literally in, in four different platforms. And we're, and we are trying to serve, you know, four different customers who want the same information we're providing four different ways and doing that on a daily basis is it's, I'm amazed we're able to do it at all. I'll be honest with you. It's just, that- it's kind of crazy. And that's, you know, from, from, that's from a distribution standpoint, correct? Well, well I'm, I'm saying it's just, I mean, yeah, because if you think about it, you know, we have to distribute it to your driveway in the morning, you know, the next day. So in order to do that, we have to have a deadline that we can make, you know, and so now our deadlines have been moved way up. We're right. also delivering our papers farther. But really, that's not what we're concerned about. What we're trying to do is make sure we can sell subscriptions to our online product. But you may, you may be someone who consumes our product on a laptop. Or you may be someone who uses your phone or maybe an iPad. And when we go to format the, our product, it's it's a it's three it's literally four different formats. So we're trying to con- condense all that work into into a couple hours every at the end of every day, right. and it's it's really a struggle. Um, but we have to do it if we're going to be if we're going to survive. So what we saw is we saw our newspaper subscriptions, as you can, as you probably are aware, I mean, who gets a newspaper in their driveway anymore? Nobody, you know, it's, you know, it's your, your grandma might, and that's about it. Right. And so w- what we have is, is that we have to make sure that um, we're generating enough subscription rev, you know, revenue through our subscriptions uh, digitally to be able to run a company. And that part has been our, that's been, I'm not just talking about TC Palm or USA Today. That's been this industry's biggest challenge so far. You know, the New York Times hasn't figured it out. The Washington Post hasn't figured it out. USA Today hasn't figured it out. You know, the Tribune Company, uh, which owns the Sun Sentinel and, and, um, you know, some of those in Chicago Sun Times and, you know, some of those papers, the Los Angeles paper, you know, they haven't figured it out yet either. We're still trying to trying to get to that point where our ad sales revenue on the digital product can uh, co- compensate for what we lost over 15 years from the print product where, you know, I mean, it was, we had it easy, Jeff. It was, you know, a, a, our, our auto sales reps in 2005, you know, would literally sit, sit at their desk in their corner office with their feet up on the desk and, you know, the fax machine would ring and here comes a, a million dollar ad from the Chevy dealer down the street, you know? Right. And, uh, and boom, he gets, you know, he gets a sales bonus and there's a big party you know, at the end of the month and, you know, all that. You know, nowadays these guys are running around, there's a hat handful of them and they're, they're scraping for, you know, a few hundred bucks and a few thousand bucks here and there, wherever they could find it on the internet. And it's, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. So, it's something that this industry has to solve if they want to survive. And right. we, and like I said, we're constantly up against this perception that, that Facebook is giving people information quicker and better, or that television is giving information quicker and better. Right. And that, that simply isn't the truth, but that's a, that's the perception we're, we're, we're fighting. Right. Do you think um, like the stuff you write about being, more in a niche for coastal communities has been something that's been able to keep you in the game. Like, cause you're kind of like the last of the Mohicans here, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm surprised you'd noticed that, but that's, uh, that's the truth. I, I tell you what, you guys down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, he's still hanging around. He's doing stuff on radio. He's writing for the Miami Herald, but Steve waters was one of the best outdoorsmen ever. Um, he was a fantastic writer, an incredible storyteller, always, always had a great um, handle on how to tell a story and, and how to make it even even more interesting for a reader 
by providing them great information while at the same time entertaining them and keeping their focus. Mm-hmm. And, and he was fantastic. And, and it's sad that the Sun Sentinel decided that they didn't need an outdoors rider anymore. So about three years ago, um, after right after lobster mini season, they informed him that they were going to um, lay him off. And it's, it was terribly sad. I mean, the guy was amazing. He won awards, all this stuff. Very and familiar, Steve. Was that? You've, you've talked to him? I'm very familiar with him. Yeah, Steve, yeah. As a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, we, he's, we've done tournaments together. I, I took Andre Dawson out, some fundraiser, and he covered it on the bow with me. Oh, that would have been cool. And I know, I know what you're talking about. He was a gem. He was amazing. And, you know, so the paper made this decision, like, you know what, do we need like three guys writing about the Miami heat or do we want a guy who writes about everything else that's going on in the outdoors statewide? And they made that decision that they wanted more heat and dolphins coverage. I'm not, I'm not knocking the, you know, the guys that work down there and and cover those beats, but you know, they work very hard. They're very good at what they do. They're, They're top notch journalists. But the fact that, you know, we have, Hundreds of thousands, we have millions of fishing licenses that are sold in Florida. We have 960,000 registered boaters. We have, you know, Broward County is in the top five of all of, uh, of those numbers. Uh, you know, we have, you look up, uh, we have like 130,000 lobster stamps that are sold. We have, um, you know, something like 500,000 snook stamps that are sold. You know, people are, are buying these licenses so they can get out and on the water and do these things. Or, you know, if you if you account for the freshwater stuff, you know, the bass fishing, the gator hunting, uh, frog gigging, you know, all the other duck hunting, all the stuff that we do in Florida, that's why we come to Florida. And if you want a good weather, you can go to move to Arizona. But, you know, people come to Florida because they want to interact with the water and the wildlife and the fish and everything else. By and large, that's why they come here. Why media organizations don't recognize that connection is beyond me. I, I'm... One reason why I'm the last Mohicans has, probably has less to do with with how I do my job and more to do with the fact that my editors understand that our readers want that connection. They want someone who can explain why like Okeechobee discharges are bad for the fishing and bad for people who want to go to the beach and bad for people who want to go to the sandbar. You know, that's going to mess up all of that stuff. And if you if you like to do any of those things, you need to get involved with our water policy decisions. And that's where I come in to connect it all. But, yes, yeah, Sue Cocky in the Miami Herald was amazing. She now lives up here in Sebastian in my neck of the woods. Yep. Um, yep. You know, we got um, uh, Willie Howard used to write for the Palm Beach Post. Just an unbelievable human being and an incredible duck hunter, you know, born in Lakeland. He was a great, uh, great waterman and woodsman. You know, Bill Sargent up in the Space Coast, they they he. He got to he wrote for the Florida Today for 48 years and they kind of forced him into retirement. And then they told me to write his fishing reports up there. So I write fishing reports that reach from Jupiter Inlet to um, to New Smyrna Beach and Ponce Inlet, if you can believe that. Once a week, I'm writing a fishing fishing reports that cover that entire coastline of Florida. Wow. Um, so and we've done this all around. Byron Stout was a news press guy over there in Fort Myers. And they, when he, they asked him to retire earlier than he should have. Now he's writing a column for the news state, the TV news station over there. He writes an outdoors thing that goes online over there. So I'm glad he's still keep keeping active. By the way, Bill Sargent still writes a monthly column and it's fantastic. You know, he hasn't lost anything. He's still telling these unbelievable stories and he's got his finger on the pulse of everything going on up there in Brevard County, you know? Right. So it's, uh, you know, these, these are fantastic people. We had a guy, Del Milligan in Lakeland. I think he passed away. Terry Tomlin was in the St. Pete Times, Tampa Bay Times now. He passed away, and they didn't refill his position. Um, so there, we've seen this trend all over Florida where, for some reason, newspaper uh, editor manage, management just says, oh, what are we, you know, where are we? And a lot of times it comes from the fact that they themselves don't interact with the outdoors. Right. You know, they – they, they understand ball sports, so we're going to have a golf guy and we got to have a football guy and we got to have a basketball guy, but, you know, forget about the outdoors. And fortunately, we've had a run here in the Treasure Coast about 100 years where our editors here in this area, they fish and they hunt and they boat and they understand it. And the guy we have in charge right now in our newsroom, he he just took his, girl, his, his twin daughters. You love this, Jeff. He's got these twin daughters about nine years old. He took them out last week and they caught a bull shark in the Indian River Lagoon. So 
he has little girls like reeling in the shark and she's squealing with the light. He showed me the video, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, the, and the sister's like, there's sharks in the lagoon. And is, you know, the dad's like, yeah, there are, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we see that. And, and by the way, the other aspect of it is, is that the media right now, what they do is they, they do count those numbers like you were kind of talking about earlier. And they want those significant numbers where you have engagement, not just these hollow numbers. Right. And and that does keep resonating. When I do a story, it gets it gets the numbers. So I just wrote a story about Apalachicola oysters and it's it did really, really well. You know, it did way better than they thought it was gonna do. And so I'm I'm encouraged. You know, they're gonna keep me around a little longer, I guess. So right. I'm I'm grateful. Well, let's hope so. You're one of the you're one of the guys in the business to stand out to me. I uh, subscribe to the TC Palm because of you. I try to keep up with every single article that comes out. But before, wow, I, thanks, thanks for reading, Jeff. <laughs> hey, dude, like I said, you know, like that's the type of content that I that that I will read and that I'll finish the article, and then when I get done with the article, I can process it and use it to my benefit. So it's important content for me. Good, but. but before we, we're going to wrap this up in a few minutes, but the last thing I wanted to hit on, and I wanted to get your opinion and what you thought about it. Like, in my opinion, the saltwater fishing magazines kind of lost everybody last decade. And the reason I think they lost everybody is because a lot of the articles and a lot of the stuff that they covered was infomercial style because of the people that were spending money inside the publications. And personally, it was so hard for me to even buy the magazine anymore. Never mind read what was in there because I would look at the ad and the freaking article would be right on the same page. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I'm like, really, am I going to spend, you know, 15 minutes reading this or 10 minutes reading this? And I kind of just lost faith in the whole outwater journalism thing um, because of that. And um, the magazines that used to be, I don't know, they're like our they're like our Bibles. I remember right. they were the biggest <laughs> yeah. thing, and they were and they were. Let's just say they were ten ounces in the old days. Well, now they're about three ounces. They're so, oh, thin. Yeah. you know, nobody good writes for them anymore. And I don't know. I kind of think they dug their own grave. Well, that's <laughs> I know you got to be a little bit more <laughs> about what you say. I know yeah. these this is your industry and things like that. <laughs> so, you know, I don't expect you to, you know. Throw anybody under the bus. Well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But um, but I, I recognize what you're saying, and um, yeah, I don't I don't know what the answer. I'm I'm not sure exactly what the answer is there. I know that they've been struggling to find the answer themselves for so long. Right. Um, I, I happen to work. I, I say work closely. I, I haven't really done many projects for them lately, but. Um, but I talked to, uh, you know, the guys from Florida Sportsman Magazine, for instance, they all live in, um, they live in Martin County mm-hmm. and they're half of them are subscribers to my content and they, uh, and so I interact with them a lot. In fact, Jeff Weekly, managing editor, he lives about two blocks away from me. So I see him all the time. And, uh, Blair Wickstrom, he called me the other day because he wanted to talk about heat basketball for a little bit, you know? So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so I, I run into these guys quite a bit. And uh, they've been struggling. You know, they they didn't want to. They never saw themselves uh, putting out a, a forty-eight page magazine ever in their lifetime. You know, right? Um, and and they're good. They have good journalistic uh, ethics. You know, with these guys at least. That I, I can't speak for a lot of other ones, but I know I do know Joe, George Povaroma real well, and I know Sam White, who he heads up uh, Marlin Magazine, and you know, so there. And you know, I've worked with Dave Farrell a couple times and different projects, but. You know, these guys, they're, they're committed yeah, you kinda, to, you kind of just put the cream. You, you talked about the cream on the top there. Yeah. I mean, they're, those they're, guys. yeah, they, I tell you, they, they all yeah. fish. Those they know, yeah, they, they all right. fish, they know fishing, they care about it and they're trying their best to provide content that people do want to read and engage with. And, uh, I, I don't know what the problem is. I know one of the first problems they ended up with was in the 2008, 2009, we had the, um, mortgage crisis. Right away, the first any time we have any kind of little downturn in the economy, any kind of little blip, the marine industry is the first one to take it on the chin. You know, before the housing market even mm-hmm. does, and so right away, all the advertising for all the magazines got pulled 
right away from all the engine manufacturers and a lot of the boat manufacturers. And so when that stuff started right. to fall apart, that's where they, they started to go into a, like a free fall. And they, they've been struggling ever since. It's been difficult. It's been 10 years now. They've watched their, their pages dwindle. The number of pages are based on how much advertising they're able to bring in. You know, less advertising means fewer pages, fewer pages, right. fewer ad, less advertising means smaller staffs. So we're kind of in that same cycle I explained with print media in newspapers. It's kind of been a, a very similar, you know, if you charted both graphs, the graphs look almost exactly the same. You know, revenues have gone away and a lot of it has gone to Facebook. You know, if, if you're going to advertise something on Facebook, you can do it for free. You know, you do it with us, it's going to cost some money, you know. So it's, it's, right. it's, been, a, it's been a challenge. And, and, you know, Google and Facebook can promise that they can put your ad in front of customers based on, you know, the native advertising techniques they do, which is basically, you know, cultivating all your digital data and giving, giving them a, a way for those advertisers to access, you know, you. So it's, it's right. been, you know, that's been something that Fisher magazines haven't been able to do, but I, I understand where you're, where you're coming from. I know that I've heard other readers that have uh, commented on, you know, the quality of some of the stories. I think that's been part of it. I think that, you know, there, there aren't a lot of fan, uh, really good outdoors journalists out there. There's people that can write and people that can fish and that's not the problem, but to be able to, to spin a story in a way that, is interesting and entertaining and informative and then also gives you some how-to that's where it gets to be a little bit of a little bit of a, tr- a struggle and i think right. i think that's something that a lot of the fisher magazines have also gotten away from is is telling good stories they 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 focus in my opinion there's there's a big focus on the how-to because they see it as if someone learns how to go catch mutton snapper they're going to go buy the tackle and they're going to go buy the you know bait and maybe either charter somebody or buy a boat or rent a boat and go out and try to do it. But um, there's that, that guy is out there, but the guy who already has all that stuff, maybe he doesn't want to read about that anymore. Maybe he wants to read about, you know, why, right. you know, somebody, you know, had a, a crazy day out there and what, you know, how they live to tell the tale, you know? So maybe it's something right. like that, that they're really looking for. So, Maybe there's a, maybe they do need a shift in their content uh, strategy. So that could be something they need to look into. I get to I get oh, to do that. By the way, I get to do that more on my side. So yeah, that's something I get to do. I get to do hero building a little bit more. But but anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, you get. I mean, you're definitely you're definitely um, are fortunate because I can tell when I look at your list of articles that you know recently have been published. You know, you look at that list and you're like, man, that's the type of shit I would write about if I was, you know, um, writing stories because, you know, I'm an outdoorsman and I'm a fisherman and I'm a water guy. And so, you know, you look at your stuff and it's like, bam, I'm subscribing. I'm in there. Listen, Ed Keller, one of the best guys in the business right now. Um, thanks so much for, for coming on the, the Real Guy podcast. Is there anything you'd like to tell my audience before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, just uh, two things real quick. One is, um, first of all, follow Jeff. This this guy's like a, he's amazing what he does for the fishing community, not just in in your area down there, but also statewide. And your knowledge is fantastic; it comes through all the time. But the other thing Thank is, is keep, yeah, keep fishing and get involved in these issues. You know, you can't stand by. I always used to get questions from my colleagues in the newsroom. They would always ask me you know, geez, why, you know, why do we have all these problems with water all the time? You know, you got, you got big ag and you got big oil. Don't you guys have like big fish? I mean, there's a lot of people that have fishing licenses. Can't they all unify in one voice? And the truth of the answer is no. And we need to, we need to be a large voting block that when we go before people who like our elected officials and we say, listen, there's 25,000 of us that fish and we don't want this crummy water anymore do something about it. You know, we're paying your salaries for Christ's sake. You know, so we need, we need that to be out there and we need you, we need everybody to be involved. And if you're sitting around not doing anything about it, then you're part of the problem. So get motivated, get amen. moving and yeah. Follow guys like Jeff. Well, amen. You know, you're not the, you know, it's funny because, you know, when we do the, when we do these podcasts, I often ask that question. And um, one of the guys that it went a long way with was um, Dave Marciano from Wicked Tuna. He basically said the same exact thing. He says, you know, it's time that fishermen 
and people that love their coastal communities take the time and energy to unite. And if nobody got anything from this podcast, which is, would be totally amazing to me, it's one of the most interesting podcasts I've had in a long time. But if nothing else, Ed, you're 100% right. And thanks for helping us unite. Ed Keller from the TC Palm, um, thanks so much for being um, on the Real Guy podcast. This is a podcast for real guys, by real guys, and uh, run that dog. <laughs>